Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'm continuing our study of the book of Revelation. And we are doing a verse-by-verse study all the way through the book. And this week, we find ourselves in chapter 17. And so for the context I want to give you today is chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. I'm hoping I can get part of that done. Uh, You'll understand that as we get into it. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to read along with me as I read this passage for you. It's found in Revelation chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God reads, And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality." And upon her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman, of the beast that carries her, which had seven heads and ten horns. I don't think it takes very far reading into chapter 17 to realize, well, we've got a major passage of Scripture to deal with. So most of you know that if you've tuned in before, that we've been going through months after months, working our way through this tremendous book. It's been a journey for us, and we're still on that journey. Uh, This is all in the future in a time known as the the tribulation period. Chapter 17 deals with the destruction of the final world religion. And we're going to try to explain that. So I I don't know if I'll get very far in the actual text, but I'm going to have to give you a lot of information. So I'm hoping that you're listening and able to follow along, maybe take notes. Or as one person told me last week, he has to listen to it sometimes three or four times in order to get the real meaning of the message. But men by nature are worshipers. We will worship something, somewhere, and that is because God made us to be worshipers. He made us to reach out to something beyond ourselves, uh, something of a spiritual nature, and specifically himself. He made us with a longing and a restlessness and a desire. Uh, Really, inside of us, there's a capacity to relate to him as the divine creator. I think this is why the book of Hebrews picks it up and says, or actually Matthew says it as well, This is why it's correct to say that man is restless until he finds rest in God. That's not the way we were created, though. We were created differently. This is because of the fall of man. Man was made with a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. He is an incurable worshiper who will bow inevitably at some shrine, if not the true God, then gods of his own inventions, as we have looked at several times in Romans chapter 1 tells us. But basically, since the fall of man, uh, which we found in Genesis chapter 3, when man rebelled against God, of course, there was the curse. Uh, Man became cursed, and because he is now, by nature, uh, sinful, his nature has been perverted so that this inner longing for man uh, is, is twisted. 
Man still reaches out for the supernatural. Man still has this capacity in themselves to worship, to worship something. He just doesn't know how to worship and to long for the true God. Uh, one writer puts it like this, man still reaches out for the supernatural. No longer does he long for the true God because he is unable to do so. In fact, the Bible self tells us <clears throat> that no man seeks after God. Uh, his religiosity makes him long for a deity, but it's usually a deity that accommodates somehow his own sinfulness. In other words, he's not going to try to worship something that is going to reveal to him his sinfulness. And now his need for a relationship with God is corrupted because of his love of sin. And that really, that's what Romans chapter 1 teaches. And, and all of this is going to lead to where we are in Revelation chapter 17. But even though uh, uh, we know what Romans chapter 1 says, and I'll just give it to you real quick. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image uh, made in there by themselves. It is characteristic of the faithful, of the fallenness of man, uh, that his built-in longing for God is corrupted. Uh, he is hopelessly religious. He is a worshiper. And all of this is going to come into play here during the tribulation period. He does not any longer seek the true God. That is the one key ingredient that all men have. We do not seek the true God. Man for man no longer seeks God. He seeks a God. He seeks something, as, as uh, Dr. Bill Bright used to say to us all the time as I worked with a Campus Crusade for Christ, that inside of every man is a God-shaped vacuum and, and that man will spend his life trying to find ways to fill it or to satisfy it. He just doesn't know that it takes the true God to fill it. He tries to fill it with religion. He tries to fill it with all kinds of things. Sometimes it's being nice to people, being good, uh, giving money, uh, what, whatever. There's a million different things he can try to do. But trying to uh, seek after the true God is just not part of it. False religion is extremely popular. And the reason is it because it accommodates man's perverted longing without bringing him under the authority or the uh, revelation of his uh, judgment of, of sin. Satan goes into action, we know, <clears throat> working against uh, the people's hearts and minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us that he, dis he is disguised as an angel of light, and his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. His servants would be demons, of course. And so you have man with a perverted desire to worship. He looks uh, for anything to satisfy that but the true God. He does not have a capacity to look for God. He will not seek God. In fact, isn't that what Genesis chapter 3 shows us? That after the fall, man ran from God, hid from God. And, and it was God that came after him. It was God that was seeking him. And so man is, is followed that same pattern throughout all of the time man has been on the earth. Man does not seek after God, not wanting to bring himself under the authority and the power and the rule of the true God. So man invents things to worship. Man invents things to bow down to. And Satan himself is right there, ready to help with the doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. 
And so you have all over the world, for the most part, a rejection of the true God. And in his place, a myriad of false deities, false religions, rebellious then this, rebelliousness then against the true God. And so you could really basically say man is a partner of Satan and Satan's demons and forces in the development of uh, and, and, and spreading of false doctrines. Uh, man does not seek the true God. And immediately after the fall, God began to look for man to bring him back. That's what, that's what is so important here and to understand that. But Satan has been waging a war against the truth of God constantly. And in the last days on earth, just prior to the return of Jesus Christ is a period known as the Great Tribulation period. When the wrath of God is being poured out on the world, there will be a combining of all of Satan's schemes, including one great universal final form of the world religion. All of the separate parts of Satanic religion will come together in one great world religion. Satan, as you know, has started all these religions. Every one of them can be traced right back to him. But we're going to find some unique things in chapter 17 and 18 about that. There's really all of the religions of the world, all of them, excluding Christianity, all are one in the same. They have different names. There are a few different rites or ceremonies, but they're basically all the same. It doesn't matter what name you give it. They fit in and out of varying cultures uh, purposes and reasons in Satan's, uh, Satan's plans, but ultimately they are all the same. They are systems that attach themselves. Well, let me just read you what, uh, what Donald Gray Barnhouse says. They are systems that attach themselves to non-existent deities, systems that teach that man can save himself by his own works and his own achievements and his own self-righteousness, that the way to God is through ceremony, ritual, right, things like that. It's all the same. And it will come together in one great world final form of religion at the very end. That's what uh, several writers have actually said it very close to that. That was actually a quote from Donald Gray Barnhouse. So it's not surprising that uh, th this is this reading of, of Revelation chapter 17 is, is incredibly shocking, amazing vision, introduces us to the final form of the world religion. Now, I want to explain some things as we, as we try to get into this. Uh, and it's going to be important because, you know, you look at this chapter and you see words like great harlot, uh, many waters, uh, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, or a beast with seven heads and ten horns, <clears throat> or the woman is clothed in purple, scarlet, gold, and precious stones, and has a cup in her hand, and then you, you find that this woman has a name written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. It's like, what is all this? What is all of this? Can it be explained in such a way as that I can understand just a little bit about what's going to happen? Well, I think it can. I think it very well can. We just have to take it slow and in bite-sized pieces so that we can begin to get an idea and a look at this. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, as we're approaching the, the end here of Revelation, we understand, don't we, that the final world empire of Satan ruled on earth is by the Antichrist. He is the one ruling the one world government who is assisted by the false prophet. And, of course, he gets his power from uh, the, the dragon or Satan himself. 
But the false prophet will be a military, materialistic, economic, and political kingdom, but it will also be a spiritual and religious one. Now, these two chapters that we're going to begin looking at, 17 and 18, chapter 18 shows the nature of the material side or the political side of Satan's kingdom, or the Antichrist kingdom, same thing. And then chapter 17, which we're in now, shows the nature of the spiritual side. Chapter 18 describes God's judgment on the political or the material aspects of that kingdom. And chapter 17 shows God's judgment on the spiritual aspects of that kingdom. And it's good that we can differentiate these because maybe we can understand them just a little bit. But in both cases, it's called Babylon. That's what gets confusing. The final great world empire of Satan led by the Antichrist as to its material side and the false prophet as to its material side will be destroyed. And the destruction of each of those two parts is described in chapter 17, the spiritual, and chapter 18, the material. Now, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but if you'll just hang with me, we'll get there. Now, keep in mind that chronology here has stopped. Chronology, as, as far as, as where we were last week, we finished chapter 16, it stops. You remember in chapter 16, closed with the seventh bowl being poured out, the last plague that is followed immediately by, well, let me, let me just show it how, how, it, how it ends. Chapter 16, if you'll look at this with me, you'll see something. Chapter 16, verse 20, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. In other words, God flattens the earth except for Jerusalem, the one high mountain there. Now, in verse 21 of chapter 16, and the huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, because its plague was extremely uh, severe. Now, chronologically, it stops right there. And then we look at chapter 17, and we look at chapter 18, because it takes us backwards and describes for us not the judgment, but what is actually being destroyed by that judgment namely the world empire. So we're getting a deeper into the spiritual and then material components of the world of Satan, the world of the Antichrist, the world of the false prophet that is going to be destroyed by the seven last plagues and the coming of Christ. So here's the way it goes. When you get to end of 16, you read those verses, then look over at chapter 19. Let me show you something. 16 or 17 and 18 would be almost parenthetical it means you could put a parenthesis around both those chapters. And then look at what 19 says in verse 1. After these things, what things? The things written at the end of chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. After these seven bold judgments, after those things, now look at what it says. I heard a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous, and he has judged the great harlot and was corrupted, who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And then we see what is happening here. We see that the stage is being set for Christ to return. So chronologically speaking, when you get to 16, you have to go to 19 to pick up chronologically because after the judgments, remember, they're gathered for Armageddon. But yet Christ is going to intervene and take, come back for that. 
Now, of course, there's a lot that still goes on, but you don't pick it up in Revelation. You have to go to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah to get most of what takes place there. So, chronologically speaking, you go to 16, then you jump to chapter 19, and then the return of Christ. So chronologically, we, we jump from 16, verse 21, right into chapter 19, verse 1. But that still leaves chapter 17 and 18. And so we're going to take a look at those and see what they actually are and what they include. So we are then, we're going to begin looking at 17 right now, looking at the spiritual side, Babylon, the religious empire, and its destruction. Now, there's three things we're going to be able to see, and none of which we're going to actually start today. But we're going to see the decoding of the system, we're going to see the description of the system, and we're going to see the destruction of the system. All of those we're going to be looking at in just a little bit of time, and not today. I want you to look at verse 5 for a second. I want to show you. Remember, I talked about all these terms. But if you're not careful, you can get really messed up with these terms, and it gets confusing it's like some, I've had so many people tell me, they just closed the book. I've even had pastors tell me, they'll say, Pastor, how, how, do, you, how do you even manage to go through Revelation? We, we tell our people don't even read it, or especially don't go into chapter 17 and 18, because that's where they're going to drop the ball right there. And I said, well, no, I, don't, I don't see it that way at all. I think chapter 1 of Revelation tells us we're going to be blessed if we read it and study it. So look at verse... That in verse 5 of chapter 17, in order to grasp verse 5, because this gives us the name of the religious world empire, and the name itself fills in the significance of it. Its name is Mystery Babylon the Great. See where it says it right there? Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. That's all of verse 5. That is the biblical name for the system of satanic uh, antichrist religion that is the final form of the world worship. And in this chapter, we're going to see that. We're going to take a look at this and several different aspects of it. But what I want you to understand at this point, basically, it's not just chronology of the Bible. Uh, chronology of Revelation stops at 16 then picks up in 19. But I want you to see in chapter 17 and 18, these two chapters really take us back over all of the book of Revelation. We're looking, and not all of the book of Revelation necessarily, but all of the tribulation period. We find this goes back. You can't pinpoint every section, but in this section, chapter 17, we are going to be able to pick up some bits and pieces along the way and show you where they fit in to whether it be the seal judgments or the trumpet judgments or, or excuse me, the bowl judgments. And so even in the 17 and 18, there's still a, a flowing here, which is very interesting. Now remember, twice already John has been told that Babylon is doomed, Babylon will be destroyed. He's told us in chapter 14, verse 8, chapter 16. Now he gets the details on that as to what Babylon is and how, in fact, it's going to be destroyed. So don't worry about the fact that you don't understand Babylon at this point. I'm going to try to get there today. I don't think I'm going to make it because time is rapidly de departing from me. These two chapters describe for us the character of the world being destroyed by the day of the Lord, events culminating in the seven bold judgments. Now notice the name, Mystery Babylon the Great. I take it that the term mystery should be associated with the name. Some of your Bible's translations may not include that word mystery, but it is there, and it's okay to include it. The name Mystery Babylon 
so that we don't confuse this with some geographical location. I think that's why the word mystery is added. Babylon cannot be confined to any one historic uh, place, past or future. It's, uh, it has multiple equivalences. Uh, any place that is characterized by false religion is referred to as Babylon. The details of John's description, I think, do not fit uh, very neat as, as far as calling it a city. Uh, rather, literal Babylon, Sodom, Egypt, Rome, or even Jerusalem, they just, it doesn't fit there. So they don't fit any future city, but rather this is mystery Babylon. It's, and I think he's telling us something deeper and broader and wider and more profound and more mystical than any physical location. In fact, here is the undisclosed Babylon, a secret reality to being revealed in its final form. This is Babylon beyond looking at a city. This is the Babylon in a mystery form. Now remember, we can't understand too much from it right now because the world is changing. The world is getting set up for the for the tribulation period. And so much is going to, I think, change as the tribulation begins. But we can understand a little bit. And so John wrote this, by the way, there was a Babylon and there is a Babylon today being rebuilt. But the Babylon described here is a mystery Babylon the Great, not the city of the past, nor the rebuilt city that we we know is over there now. This is some unknown, mysterious, secret Babylon to be unfolded in the future. It is the Babylon of satanic deception. I think it would be safe to say that wherever satanic deception rules and reigns, you have uh, what would be called a form of Babylon or a kind of Babylon. And again, I'm going to use this word a lot. Don't let it scare you. Babylon is better understood as a sort of a, a, a head of a worldly resistance to God. It's, it's almost like a system that's been uh, brought about, and it's, it's anti-God. It's trans-historical Babylon. It's the Babylon of idolatry. It's the eschatological symbol of worldwide satanic deception and power. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But really, when you look at Babylon, it's a divine mystery that can never be wholly uh, reduced to uh, something or to an earthly institution. It's much bigger than that, which is what I think we're seeing here in Revelation 17. Babylon represents in this chapter the religious culture of the world dominated by Satan, the deceiver. And I think when you, you think about that, it is so much bigger than what we're able to comprehend. Now, the comprehensiveness can, can be seen uh, further by noting that it is Babylon the Great. It's, in other words, it's mega Babylon, something massive and far-reaching. It's further described as the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. That is to say that all the harlots of the earth, all the abominations of the world have, have sprung out all of this, and it's all called Babylon. Now, let me tell you what that means. This is where... I want to spend some, some time today because it's so fascinating. Harlotry or prostitution is the standing symbol in Scripture for one thing. It's the standing symbol in Scripture for idolatry, worshiping of idols. Wherever you see spiritual harlotry uh, or spiritual prostitution in Scripture, it is the standing symbol for idolatry. Whenever people turn to other gods rather than the true God, it was a prostitution. It was joining oneself to a harlot. That's why this phraseology can be described in this way, and it's used this way.
But we can see, and if we had time, we'd go back all the way to Jeremiah, for example. It says, Then the Lord said to me in the days of the Josiah the king, Have you seen what the faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. What does that mean? Well, Israel set up idol groves. They went up and were worshiping things carved out of wood. Then he says that this is harlotry. In verse 8 of Jeremiah uh, <clears throat> chapter 3, it says this, I saw that for all the idolatries, adulteries of faithless Israel, so forth, and so forth. Verse 9, it came about because of the lightness of her harlotry that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and with trees. Ezekiel speaks of the same kind of, of, of thing. Ezekiel says in chapter 16, God is indicating, he says in verse 30, how languishing in your, is your heart, declares the Lord. While you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced harlot, when you build your shrine at the beginning of every street, made your high place in every square, this is idols. They set up idols, and it's called harlotry. And so this is the, the, the kind of imagery here. In fact, the imagery of harlotry is associated with idolatry all the way through the Bible. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, the book of Hosea itself, the whole book is about that. God is represented by Hosea. Hosea depicts God, and his harlot wife, Gomer, is a symbol of Israel who has many lovers and her many harlotries. So what you have here in this mystery, the great, the mother of all idolatry, the final form of the world religion will be the mother of all idolatry, the mother of all false religion, in other words. Now, Babylon, of which John writes, of what he sees in the vision, is the very Babylon that once gave birth to all blasphemous idols, idolatry, idol worship, I mean. It is the very Babylon that once gave birth to all prostituted forms of religion. And in the end, basically what this is saying is they all come together in this one final form during the tribulation period. And so when you look at this, when it says this, it's describing all of it as it is in totality, basically from the middle of the tribulation to the end of the tribulation. Because I think it's it's referenced this as the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist takes his seat in the temple and declares himself to be God, that does away with all religion. Up until then, uh, the Antichrist has been partnered with them, has supported them, has encouraged them, and, and then he breaks it off, and it's the, the one world religion takes over at that point, worshiping of him. And we saw that in Revelation chapter 13. Now, uh, frequently throughout the book of Revelation, women appear as symbols of religion. In chapter 2, verse 20, it did. In the Thyra Tower uh, church there. In chapter 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and here is a great religion, the great nation of Israel identified as a woman. In chapter 19, I think verse 7 and 8, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Uh, here again, the church, which is called the Bride of Christ, has made herself ready. Israel is seen as the picture of a woman. The church is seen in the picture of a woman as a bride, a magnificent and beautiful image uh, that, that 
I'm only mentioning all this because we wonder sometimes why it's mentioned this way, why this kind of terminology is used. But there you see the false religious system again called a harlot, another designation of a woman in connection with religion. You have another reference to the bride in chapter 21, verse 9 of Revelation. So, with all this information, uh, I don't know that uh, we're going to cover much more than this because it's just, it's like it's too much to give you, but I have to give you the, the information. Here in this case, it is a harlot, not the Israel, the wife of God, not the church, the bride of Christ, but here you have a harlot woman in Revelation 17. And this imagery of motherhood fits because she gives birth, only she gives birth to harlots, harlots after harlot after harlot. You see what it says there? It says in verse 5 of Revelation 17, and upon her forehead was the name Mystery the Great, or Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots, the mother of harlots. She gives birth to other harlots. This is Babylon. This is what is referred to as Mystery Babylon. Isaiah called ancient Babylon the queen of kingdoms. Again, following the feminine imagery here, and that's found in Isaiah 47, 5. So, what you have here is Babylon the Great birthing all manner of harlots, all forms of idolatry, Babylon giving birth to all forms of false religion. So when it talks about it here, and the reason I'm giving you this is you'll know it will encompass all forms of false religion. All of them will be represented there. This is source of, of all of the earth's idolatries. And as I said, she spun them all the way back. We can go all the way back to Genesis, to the Tower of Babel, and you can see that. And again, at the end, during this, during this tribulation period, they're all going to come back. Uh, as, as one writer, I like what one writer says, I think it's John MacArthur who says this, they, at the end, they come home to Mama. They're all collected around her again. She is the unholy counterpart to the bride of Christ, that uh, MacArthur says. Whether it's Confucianism, Islam, Hinduism, uh, whether it's uh, Buddhism, all of the false religions are brought together as one. They all have the same source. They're all called back together in the end. They're really not that far apart. Uh, she mothers them all, and all her children will come home to her, and that is what it is telling us. And this increasingly, in, in the last days, uh, we're going to see this, this system taking shape. But it will come to true shape at the middle of the tribulation period, Satan's power and the Antichrist and his deity. Now, in chapter 13 of Revelation, you see this, this final form of religion in terms of deity, it's worshiping. Christ, I mean, it's worshiping. In, in chapter 13, you see the beast or the Antichrist, as he's called. The same representation here. The beast is still the Antichrist here in Revelation 17. Uh, in, in Revelation 13, you see the beast or the Antichrist. It tells us in verse 4, they worshiped the beast. See that? Uh, they worshiped the dragon. They give us authority to the beast and they worship the beast. Who is worshiping Satan, the dragon? Who is worshiping the Antichrist? Look at verse 3. It says the whole earth in Revelation 13. The whole earth, the nature of the final form of world religion will be Satan worship and Antichrist worship. Verse 8 tells us the comprehensive nature of this or the broader picture. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Well, that's what Revelation 17 is talking about. It's coming, folks. A one world religion is coming. 
It is coming, it is coming, it is coming, and it does not delay. I mean, even though it seems to be delayed, it is coming rapidly. We seem to be very irreligious in our country, but it's rapidly changing, and it's been changing, I think, since the 90s, and I'm going to explain a little bit more about that as we get into uh, next time. But there are efforts, of course, in the ecumenical movement to sweep away and I've been seeing this in churches across the country now. Do away with dogma, sweep away, and do away with all doctrines, sweep away all distinctions that would divide and move the world towards one great tolerant world religion to pave the way for gathering of a one world religion. That's what people want. And I know I just saw this, the, what they're calling a revival in Kentucky and one in Ohio. Uh, the this is what, well, I think I'll save that for next week. But there are some characteristics there that had me really concerned. And uh, I, I know if I say too much, it's going to turn people off and they don't want to hear it. Because I think in the last days, people don't want doctrine. They don't want, they don't want solid scripture teaching. They want to actually feel good. And that is what is so dangerous. The deity will be somebody they can see in the future. It will be somebody, I believe, in the, in the form of a humanism for some, a form of supernaturalism for others. They want to focus on something, and the dragon through the Antichrist will be a supernatural being. He's going to have power, and that's why they are going to be easy to follow him. This ecumenical movement of today that's bringing various diverse fractions uh, upon uh, Christianity uh, it's, it's going to be something in that day that's going to uh, bring more people together. Some people say it's going to be a social action. Some people say it's going to be emotionalism. Nevertheless, whatever it is, seducing spirits are outdoing their work, spreading the doctrines of demons, destroying the distinctiveness of Christian faith, which is solid biblical teaching. I'm telling you, folks, a one-world church is coming, and we can see evidence of it even today in our churches across America. And I don't think I'm going to be able to go any further in this because my time is running out. But there is a compelling need for religion because of what is going on in the world during the tribulation period. And we're going to get into that next time to show you just how dangerous it's going to be. So for now... Uh, I doubt I didn't get much into the, the the text, but stay with me. Next time we'll get deeper at beginning in verse one and go all the way to verse seven. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Hope for the Heart.